everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Bitch Breathe. My name is Ricardia. Today, I would love to discuss even with you a topic that has been on my mind a lot lately, certainly in the last couple of years. And this subject is about storytelling. So as you've probably noticed, whether it's advertising or, um, you know, personal narrative, whether it's the yoga, or the spiritual scene, but the word storytelling has become the magical um, sort of a, a silver bullet. Um, if you can't sell something, tell a story. If people don't understand something you're explaining, explain it with a story. And so this whole idea of stories which is so deeply anchored in our history as humans anyway, has sort of found a little bit of a renaissance uh, in today's world in, in many realities. And um, it's something I'm really interested in because I love stories, because I love telling stories <laughs> and certainly embellishing them here and there, but we'll get to that later. And I wanted to talk a little bit more about it with, yeah, sort of a different viewpoint so to back up a little bit, I'm more from like the tough love uh, school of life. I've, as a child, was always taught to march like a good little soldier. If you were sick, let's say you had a bronchitis or something, you had to go to school anyway because, well, under the circumstances, mom was a single mom. There was no child care. So off to school you go. And um, that was normal. I also was in the care of a really, really loving but tough loving Irish caregiver for the first six years of my life. So again, there was always this idea of, you know, don't dwell on whatever story that is going on, just keep marching. So this whole idea of feeling all the feels, which is something we like to say these days, didn't happen for me. And I think for many, many people in my generation, and even more and even more deeply for generations that came before mine. So I'm used to, or I was used to marching, you know, to function, to perform the job already. And essentially, what was being told to me was, just don't dwell on it. Don't feel you know, uh, all these feelings, uh, just, you know, get on with it, as my mom likes to say, just get on with it. <laughs> so um, it took me a long, long time, many, many hours of yoga and meditation, and also other leaders and women and men in my life to begin to not just acknowledge that maybe it's okay to feel things, but to be able to identify those feelings. And here comes the big one to say them, right? So that whole idea of uh, feeling had a, had a lot of shame attached to it for me. And um, I was very able to get angry. For example, anger was cool. Anger is okay. It, it spoke of power in my mind, but feeling not so much. So after years of, you know, all the feels <laughs> and really getting into it and finding it super therapeutic and so helpful to finally give myself permission to go through this sequence of different kinds of feelings, depending on whether it's trauma or um, just trying to digest a, a certain situation that occurred, I um, started to notice that I seemed to be crossing over to the other side. So what do I mean by that? I mean that the feelings 
took such a center stage role that they didn't seem to get transformed so much anymore. They started to stay there because I kept retelling the same stories over and over. And so what happened when I kept telling this story and, you know, populating it with all the feelings that went, and I'm specifically speaking in the past tense now, that went with it, I was getting a little bit frozen in that mode. And I started to think, um, maybe I've, you know, gone from feeling, authentically feeling and transforming those feelings to dwelling on these feelings and dwelling on the story, maybe even insisting on the story, because now I've effectively become identified with the story that I'm telling. And I've begun to look at that lately because I feel like I'm always in an effort to transform, you know, what isn't working for me, not because it says so in a really good book or because I'm trying to positive think my way out of something, but because it's just hindering me. It's um, the story's become a crutch that I'm heavily leaning on to explain why I act the way I do, why I don't feel safe in certain situations. In my case, the anxiety, for example, I've um, had anxiety most of my life. If you want to learn more about how to cope with that, listen into my first episode there. But so the anxiety, fear anyway, can totally take over, right? Fear is my, probably the most powerful story I personally know. And you can get really stuck. So there are all these factors that can make us retell a story exactly the same way over and over, but it's not changing. And so today I'm hoping to talk about a few tools or maybe just phenomena that I've started to look into to re-examine the story. And that's actually the first tool. But before I do so, I would love to quickly quote from a book that I've been reading. It's called Deep Work by Cal Newport. And I wanted to talk about it because this was one of the most important points about retelling a story or, or shifting it around. So this is a quote by the science writer Winifred Gallagher. And what happened to Miss Gallagher, Mrs. Gallagher, is she was diagnosed with a very vicious form of cancer a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, she had to go through the whole thing of the chemotherapy and the whole daily life that you suddenly lead once you've been diagnosed with a very aggressive kind of cancer, especially. And I loved what she said about her, her attention. She writes, the disease wanted to monopolize her attention, but as much as possible, I would focus on my life instead. So I like this whole idea that you have the power to focus on different aspects of your life at any given moment that you decide what aspect becomes important and what doesn't. And I'll get back to this particular point a little bit later, but first let me return to the idea of re-examining the story. So this is a very easy one, maybe, to just look at. Um, am I telling this story, if that is possible, correctly? Does it really? Did it really go down this way? Has it really been that long? Um, does, does it look like something that has anything to do with life as I lead it today? And just re-examining first, no judgment, 
You're just looking at it like you would look at any other story, like taking out a storybook, look at the story after you've read it, look at it again and see, hmm, what, what are the things that I'm noticing about it? As, almost, as if you are coming at it with a couple of fresh eyes, if you will. Just re-examine, not really doing anything with it yet. And see if just by putting new kind of attention on it, does it still remain the same story? And then the second tool, for how long have you been telling this story? So if we've had problematic childhoods, by now I feel like there are very few who haven't. But if there are certainly issues, maybe even trauma from our childhood, we might be telling this story for a really long time. And I remember many, many years ago, I tried therapy and I actually spent some time going to therapy. Um, culturally speaking, it's not such a big deal for Americans, or maybe that's New Yorkers. Um, so it, it seemed like the natural way to go if I was an adult and beginning to find that certain things weren't working for me. So therapy um, seemed like, the, you know, the natural next step to sort of look at this whole thing. And in therapy, I noticed I kept having to tell my childhood story, who my dad was to me, who my mom was to me, how was my birth and stuff over and over and over. And to this day, I don't know if that was part of the strategy, but I got so sick of the story. I was like, really, we have to talk about daddy again? Um, or, you know, how this kid in the playground didn't treat me right? Don't get me wrong, please. I find this very important. Don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to tell you to gloss over whatever trauma was there. I'm not interested in what I call the happiness imperative, and you can listen into that episode with that name if you like. Um, it's not my focus, not my, my jam, but just to sort of look back and see how many months or years you've spent telling this story, and then to look at does the story justify this investment of time, right? This is lifetime we're spending. We're spending our present, maybe our future lifetime, projecting the old story onto this present and future lifetime because we're effectively filling that time with telling this past story. Again, trauma is valid Talking about problems is super valid. Any of my episodes, you'll know my friends and I are constantly talking and trying to transform our stories and problems. But just sort of looking at how long have you been telling it? And do you really want to invest this much time in something that already transpired? And that in terms of it being a past um, occurrence cannot be changed. It can only be morphed or transformed third tool I want to re-examine with you or look at with you. Does the telling of the story spell relief? So for a while, um, depending on what kind of story it is, for me, one of my uh, bigger trauma, if you will, traumata, if you will, in life was the ending of a very long relationship. It ended very, very badly and violently um, uh, verbally, I want to say. It was verbally very, very violent and very sudden. And the whole circumstance just seemed really, really big and, and scary to me. 
And so for a while, I did tell this story over and over and over. I needed to talk about it from A to Z. And thank God I had listening ears who really would declare themselves willing to listen over and over because I couldn't stop talking about it. I was so in shock that talking about it made it more real. And so it didn't make me crazy right? Because if it was real, then it wasn't crazy. So talking about the story was super, super helpful for a very long time and for many, many times. And then I began to get better. Not long after I started to get better, actually. But the story didn't. The story that I kept telling kept being the same story for one but it didn't spell relief to tell it anymore. When I told the story, I felt like I was now freezing myself in time back at uh, the stage when this was still going on. And so while I was telling the story, I was no longer feeling this sort of, um, well, how do I say, I wasn't spilling it out. I was regurgitating it, um, recycling it if you will, maybe even embellishing. In fact, because I love to tell stories, there's a high probability that I was also embellishing this one or these many stories around that particular event. And it no longer relieved me. I began to feel like, am I sounding like a victim? Um, and not to discredit that term or the feeling of it, but that's a whole nother um, episode even, I think. But am I effectively continuing to victimize myself long after this person did because I keep retelling the story without there being any relief behind it. So what I began to do is, even when friends asked me, how are you doing? How is this particular issue going? I put a mor moratorium on that story. I said, thank you. I love you for asking. I don't want to talk about it anymore. And yes, you could think that this was repression or, or me not dealing, but honestly, years now later, I think it's safe for me to judge. It wasn't. I had noticed that this story, this book, had come to an end in that form, that it no longer was mine. Um, it was mine to own, but it was no longer one that served me to tell. So really just looking at do I still feel relieved after I tell the story? Or have I actually moved on and it just feels like an old, stale, recycled, um, uh, I don't know, <laughs> bread, tortelloni, whatever it is. So that was the third tool. The fourth one is more like a question. Whose story is it really? So... Throughout my yoga adult life, I should say, I became more and more interested in the whole idea of ancestral healing. If that doesn't mean anything to you, basically it just means you find tools and ways and people who help you work through stories, if you will, or trauma or questions that um, came before you, that are part of your family line, that are part of how you were raised, but that maybe, and this is the key of whose story is this really, may not be yours. So I did one really great method. It worked for me. Everybody's different people, like from, you know, ancestral healing to regression therapy, whatever floats your boat to get you through the day and to get you healed, that's what you do. And one of the many, many methods that I tried was one that I think is called birth into being. 
And um, in, in this, doesn't matter what the method is, you can uh, look it up. But in it, um, you sort of tell the actual story of your birth, the circumstances around it. How was your mother? Where was your father at the time? And when I first you know, told this story to the therapist I was working with, I thought, oh, man, not again. I don't want to talk about mom and dad. Like, I'm already done. I get what went wrong. Let's move the hell on already. But that wasn't really her focus, this therapist. Um, she was looking at the very particular circumstance of my mother. And not to get into that too much, because I feel like that's my mom's story to tell and not so much mine, but the circumstances were super traumatic. Um, before the birth, during the birth, after the birth, everything was really, really hard. And um, at a time, this was in Ireland, England in the 70s, certain circumstances were in place that just made it almost impossible for her to have me under happy circumstances. In fact, it was impossible, but uh, maybe I get to invite my mom one day and have her narrate the story. In any case, what I noticed is that some of the anxiety actually that I felt in my adult age and the trauma, it wasn't mine. I was talking to this therapist, and then later we did the actual therapy, which is very, very physical, by the way. Um, but I realized, wait a second. The circumstances for me, for my childhood or my giving birth to my son, were not mom's. That's not my fear I'm talking of here. This decision I'm making, that's a decision my mom would make out of her very valid, probably, fear. But it's not mine. Her trauma does not belong to me. And so even though, getting back to what I was saying at the beginning, I come from a long line of... Um, Tough love, like I come from a long line of women who just marched, who are strong, fierce, brave, who did things during the war that um, only people who have also been through a war could probably understand. So I came from this long line of marching soldiers and trauma and fear, but that doesn't necessarily, just because we share a bloodline, make it mine. And that was fascinating to me to say, like, wait a second, this isn't my story. If I'm going to ask myself whose story this is, turns out it's not mine. What a relief. That doesn't mean all the trauma is gone, but it means I can separate it out. I can extract it from my own personal life story. And that felt incredibly empowering. And I can only recommend to look into this particular aspect. So once we've re-examined and we've looked at it and we've asked ourselves whose story this is, it's time to own it. Now, I know this whole term of owning something or reclaiming it, um, certainly since the Oprah Winfrey show back in, in the day, um, has become a little overused, but it, that doesn't make it any less relevant. So when you've decided to tell a new story, maybe, to take aspects out that don't serve you, own it. Don't hide away from it. Don't shrink from it. Don't tell it if you don't need to. But when you do, know that this is the, one of the most empowering aspects about us is that we own the stories we tell. We decide who the true heroines or heroes are. We decide who actually only played a supporting role. They really weren't that important. We decide what the highlights of that story can be and which lowlights 
we don't need in there anymore, or which actually never really mattered in the first place. Really thinking of ourselves as writers, because nobody can write our story the way we can. Nobody can tell it the way we can, but that also means that nobody can bring the kind of truth to it that we can. And when we do look at the whole story, maybe it's just me, but I think sometimes we've embellished where it served us. And that's totally fine if it's not serving our trauma or our patterns. And maybe we haven't focused on parts of the story that actually are also there and just as valid. And this brings me back to the quote I read to you earlier by Gallagher, that she said the disease was going to monopolize her attention. But she continues later in the book and, and she says, I decided that I was going to place my attention on long walks with the dog and my 6.30 martini in the evening. And I love that. If pandemic drinking has become a thing for you, by the way, maybe replace the martini with something else. But whatever it is. But I love that she decided where the attention goes. Right? It could have gone to the chemotherapy. It could have gone to sort of imagining how this disease was taking up her life or maybe taking it eventually. But she didn't. And again, I don't mean for you to tell a sugar-coated version of your story, but let the story be alive. Let it, like any other oral tradition, change over time. Because you've changed over time, there's no need for you to be stuck in a story that no longer represents who you are and who you've become. And to really do your story and you justice by trying, and I know this is hard, sometimes we'll have to ask friends and family to do it for us, really try to tell the story truthfully. And if you're not sure that you are, chances are your friends and family have heard the story over and over. Ask them, ask them, am I still dwelling on something old here? Or is this still valid? And if I don't like it, if it's still valid, is there a way I can change it? Is there somebody who can rewrite the story with me. So that was my story <laughs> about stories. I hope that you found it useful for your own story and that maybe, maybe it inspires you to write your own. I really look forward to your comments and I just wanted to shout out, uh, give a little announcement here. Tonight on Clubhouse, However, in German language, I'm going to be in a talk with one of uh, my oldest friends. She's a fasting teacher, if you will, and I'm coming at this from a yoga teacher perspective. And the two of us tonight at seven on Clubhouse are going to talk about pro-aging. So join us there if you like. If you'd like to be in exchange with me, write me an email at bitchbreathe at gmx.com or join our Facebook group by the same name. Looking forward to hearing from you. Until then, sending love. Bye.